Hello and welcome to Hoops Hour, hosted by Hoops Hour. This is episode three. It is Thursday, December 21st. I'm recording this a day early. Um, I want to release this on the Friday. Just trying to get ahead of a of, of some stuff, you know, with holidays and things, I, I want to be able to just kind of relax. But nonetheless, we got a we got a good show for you here today. Um, a good amount of stuff to talk about in the news, um, and then we're going to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. So very excited for all of that. And uh, without any further delay, let's just kind of get into it. Bit of a somber note to start off this episode because uh, something pretty tragic uh, came out last night while games were going on, and that's the fact that. The New York Knicks have applied for a disabled player exception worth $7.8 million as the franchise projects center Mitchell Robinson will miss the rest of the season. Major development as Robinson had ankle surgery last week. Um, I'm heartbroken, man. I, he was On a personal note, he was having such an amazing season and I feel awful for him. My heart truly goes out. He seems like such an upstanding individual just that sounded like i'm 80 years old he just seems like a great dude um and then on a team note as like a knicks fan we were playing pretty well without him there was still good good hope for the knicks season to end up still being on pace to be a competitive playoff team we still could be that because of the disabled player exception if slash when that gets approved um but it's not a ton of money i know is a crazy thing to say to 7.8 million dollars but in the in the lens of the nba not a ton of money uh but can definitely pick up some like vet minimum in and out of the league type of guy uh there's some there's some free agent bigs like Dwayne Dedman uh, might not be that bad. Nerlens Noel, Kai Jones, even little little athletic freak, Kai Jones, that could be interesting. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Regardless, like it, it wouldn't be that much of a game changer. Kind of just filling Mitch's role to the best of their abilities. Um, and also, this means that we'll be getting serious thirty-eight-year-old Taj Gibson minutes in the year twenty twenty-four. So, all in all, just please keep this keep this team in your thoughts. Um, but yeah, uh, whatever. I'm not going to talk about it too much right now and um, unpack everything and and give my thoughts and feelings because I'm still in a bit of an emotional state. Again, this only came out last night. Um, and also I, as a Knicks fan, I'm sure I'll find a way to blab about it for like a while. So I'll make it its own segment, uh, shortly in coming episodes. Um, but yeah, also because we're probably going to have a decently uh, length episode with this one anyways. Um, but just know I'm, I'm, I'm working through it, all right? And uh, thank you in advance for all your kind, kind thoughts and prayers. Um, the next bit of news I want to do is a little bit of a follow-up to our Draymond Green segment from last episode. Uh, this news actually came out like right after I had finished recording on Monday, Tuesday, whatever it was that, I, that episode two came out. Um, and he has in fact started counseling. It's expected that he'll be out for the next three weeks ish, which is approximately like 12 to 13 games. I'm pretty sure one of those would have already been played by now. Um, the sources have not revealed what the specifics of the counseling are, which is totally understandable. That would be pretty, pretty personal. I would feel like that's an invasive thing. Right. Um, but it's probably behavioral anger management type run it i'm just i'm sure it's nothing like crazy you know i'm sure they're not having him uh jump through hoops trying to unravel like you know subconscious like trauma that he has or something like that i'm sure it's nothing crazy 
Uh, Joe Dumars, NBA vice president and head of basketball operations, said in a statement that Draymond's repeated history of unsportsmanlike acts, which is a very funny way to put that, accurate, but kind of comical, uh, was a factor in the decision, which we, we talked about that again, like, you just can't have the kind of resume he has with these kind of incidences and then keep the front of like, guys, I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. Even if that's true, it's just like, you know, look at the look at the long laundry list of incidents you've had. Um, and this was this was Draymond's sixth career suspension and 20th career ejection. He is second all time behind Rashid Wallace's 29 career ejections. Probably one of the only records Draymond Green is up for, and probably one that he doesn't want to get anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have that much else to say about this. Again, talked about it way more at length in last episode if you want to really hear about that. But uh, yeah, whatever. Let's move on. Uh, next up, John Morant's back, baby. The league is on notice. Uh, this was Tuesday that he made his return on the road against the Pelicans. In New Orleans, he dropped 34 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, a block, and a game winner. Yeah, yeah, Jaws back, baby. He Jaws back. Um, and it's actually really funny that like that's how history will remember it because he had a pretty rough, slow start to this game. I wasn't watching super closely, um, but he had like seven points through a good portion of the third quarter. And I was kind of thinking like, oh, well, you know, I know it's we all really deep down know it's not that big a deal. He'll probably get clowned about it online or whatever. But like it's his first game back since like April. So the more important thing is that he's back in general. Um, and then he went for 22 straight points in the fourth quarter. Just absolutely took over. It was it was pretty fun. You you quickly can forget um, what it's like to watch a player. And John Moran's definitely one of those ones that I think, I don't know, we definitely don't have a huge body of work as as some of the other players, his like age or how long they've been in the league. Maybe they have some, some more like playoff experience on their resume or whatnot. But John Morant is so entertaining. I remember thinking last season, like I'm not really a fan of the Grizzlies. I don't really care that much about John Morant. But he can turn a franchise into must-watch uh, must TV. Pardon, um, He's just so entertaining, so fast-paced, puts so much pressure on the defense uh, just with any, everything he does because of how electric he is and how quickly he can get to the rim. Um, and so the big question is, can Ja turn the Grizzlies season around? Um, you know, the, the question at the beginning of this season was, can the team hold out while he's gone? The answer to that was a resounding no. The Grizzlies were much worse than I think anybody expected. Um, but now it's it's how far can they go? And in fact, you know, going a little bit back before even Ja made his return, they are four and six in their last ten games, which, while nothing like remarkable, certainly shows that they've been a significantly better team in the past like ten games than they were in the first ten games. Um, that being said, the Grizzlies are still the 13th seed. They are seven games back of the 10th seed, which is what they would need bare minimum to get into the play-ins, and nine games back of the 6th seed, which would avoid the play-ins entirely. 
The good thing about that, though, is it's December. There is still the majority of the season left to play. And additionally, the West is very competitive and really outside of the Nuggets, who are definitely the team to beat. It's pretty wide open. So I imagine that it will remain for the majority, if not all of the season, a matter of only a few games in between uh, several seedings. Um, but, but here's the thing. The Grizzlies currently have the single worst offensive rating out of any team in the NBA, dead last 30th, while also having the 11th best defense, which slowly crawled its way back up from like the 15th, 16th, 17th spot that it started at, um, and, and that was pretty pathetic. But they're 24th in net rating, getting outscored by almost 7 points a game, which, while that's nothing crazy, obviously, it's, it is multiple possessions. Um, the Grizzlies are 30th in true shooting, 27th in assist-to-turnover ratio, 17th in pace. This is just stagnant, inefficient basketball. They are 29th in effective field goal percentage, which effective field goal percentage is kind of a dumb advanced stat. It, it accounts for three-pointers being worth more than two-pointers by adding a .5 to every three-point field goal made in the sum total equation of field goals made by attempts hope that made sense i get what they're going for with it but i don't know the point five kind of feels like an arbitrary assignment of value maybe it's not and i mean you can definitely get on me and say i don't know ball or something i haven't looked enough into effective field goals but yeah whatever i just just throwing that advanced stat out there point being their effective field goal percentage is so low because the grizzlies take the fifth most three-pointers out of any team in the league but have the second worst shooting percentage from behind the arc. So when you're taking more shots than basically any other team in the league while also shooting one of the worst percentages from that point, and, like the Grizzlies, ranked 21st in offensive rebounding possession, meaning you're not creating a lot of second-chance opportunities from those misses, those might as well just be turnovers, you know what I mean? So just not a great offense. Um, just pretty completely ineffective um, and has not been very competitive by today's NBA standards, if you will. Um, but I think that's where Jaws scoring and rim pressure and playmaking is really going to make the biggest impact. And we'll see uh, the, the largest uh, leap and change in the team's game uh, from that from that end of the ball. Um, and maybe we'll bring their offense up to like a middle of the pack sort of deal, because while the Grizzlies have been historically bad, I don't want to say historically bad. I'm throwing around the word historically a lot lately. Uh, while the Grizzlies have been really bad, a lot of the teams at the bottom don't have a John Morant kind of guy on their on their roster, so he's going to be able to elevate them big time. Because, um, yeah, again, when you insert a John Morant-esque figure onto this team, because, again, as we've talked about, his, his just insane level of offensive threat that he just exists as at all times because of his his pace his pressure towards the rim and whatnot and his elite finishing um relative kind of I don't know sometimes he, he can smoke some ones and as I said wasn't having a great start to the game but whatever you know what I mean he just raises the floor for everybody on the team when you have someone who's such a uh such an offensive like gravity everybody's focused on him that just makes it makes it easier for everybody else, even if nothing changes for them. Um, so I think that's where we'll see the biggest leap for this team over the remainder of the season. And that should be pretty interesting. I, I would love if John Morant just went absolutely stupid for 
kind of no reason. We'll get into that, but yeah. Uh, outside of Jaw, just to kind of might as well talk about the Grizzlies kind of thing. Uh, Desmond Bain has adjusted pretty well. You know, he's done he's done his best as the number one option without Jaw up until this point, and he's had a pretty good All Star fringe All Star level season up until this point. Um, greater volume, only a slight drop in efficiency. Uh, you can argue his offensive game in general grew because of that. Having being the number one option offensively is so much different than being an offensive option at any other level because the the coverages you're going to get the kind of defense you're going to be dealing with as that number one guy just fundamentally kind of different so I think the fact that he has had relatively the same efficiency while increasing his volume really really does speak a bit of 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 volume I guess um and so I think kind of going back into a secondary role he should be really really good um, Jaron Jackson Jr., however, has been pretty disappointing, if I do say so myself. Kind of underwhelming defensively uh, in terms of effort and impact. Uh, and then, as we can tell by their by their uh, very mid-defense. Um, and then he's just kind of lukewarm on offense. Fairly similar to what he was last season. A little bit of a higher volume. But um, I, don't, I don't really know how to feel about Jaron Jackson Jr. He is... Uh, a very talented player, clearly, and you don't accident accidentally walk your way into a Defensive Player of the Year award. I don't think he was necessarily the best choice last season, but it's not an accident that you end up in those conversations. So he definitely does have defensive impact on on a game, but it's there's a difference between the impact you can have on any given random game. And the impact you can consistently have over the course of a playoff series or even playoff run. Uh, moving on, though, uh, Bismack Biombo has been pretty solid defensively, um, but he's just really not meant for the playoffs against the, the size, the sheer size and talent of the bigs in the West. Bismack Biombo is a backup center in that regard. Um, and then any other big time contributor on this team is out of commission. Steven Adams has had knee surgery and is out for the rest of the season. Brandon Clark tore his Achilles in March and still has no timetable for return. Marcus Smart sprained his foot and has been out for a month and just recently returned to five-on-five in practice, so still might be a little while before he's he's at the level where he's ready to play on an NBA floor again. Uh, Luke Kennard, he's been out for a month. He might be coming back in the next couple of weeks, but you know he's, he's a great 3-and-D guy, but you know, not a game changer really. Um, and then the rest of the team, and <laughs> I say this with, I, I do not often say this and I do not say this lightly because I like to be hyper respectful and aware of what it takes to be a professional athlete and compete at the highest level. But the rest of this team are G League and 2K generated role players. I'm sorry. It's, it's just, this roster is not good. Um, I do want to shout out, however, though, uh, there is a 5'8 guard who has played 20 games for the, maybe like 21 at this point, games for the Grizzlies. He started in eight of them. Jacob Gilliard, he's almost shooting 43% from three. Um, nothing crazy. He's a pretty like low, he's not a, not a major contributor to the team, but it's very impressive to see him out there as such an undersized player. Um, and especially in today's hyper athletic league where you have dudes of all sizes that are just jumping out of the gym, have insane, uh, like 
burst and, and whatnot. To see him playing as such an undersized player, it, it takes more than just skill. That's that's grit. That's determination to just to just show up and have the confidence to be like, I don't give a shit that everybody here is a foot, foot and a half bigger than me. Like, I belong here. Uh, so that's really cool. Shout out to him. Um, so in general, I think you kind of get how I feel about this team. But John Morant, ja Morant's uh, return, regardless, is going to move mountains for the Grizzlies fandom, at least, over the coming months. Um, and they'll be happy that they're no longer like one of the worst teams in the league as they have been. But yeah, ultimately, I just think this team is a bit too shorthanded, a bit too injured to really be competitive um, and put up a solid playoff run, even with Ja. Um, and it's also probably better in the long term that they don't try and just like make every decision from here till the end of the season under the guise of like win now, win this season kind of thing. Um, I think they could end up hurting themselves long term if they do that. The Grizzlies might be a play-in team and, you know, for everything that's happened, having just some additional playoff experience, I think that's okay. That's not a bad thing to take away from a season where your late main guy missed 25 games, if not more by the end of it. So, yeah, uh, that is basically all of the news that I have for this episode, which means we're going to hop into our first segment. All right. So, um, I mean, obviously that one was clearly a segment. Um, I, I was going to just talk about job coming back and what that could mean, but then it kind of became everything else about the Grizzlies. And honestly, it was just a good time to talk about them because outside of Jaws return and, and what that means for this team, what, what else is there to really talk about the Memphis Grizzlies? You know what I mean? But anyways, moving on to the Timberwolves segment, are the Timberwolves the real deal? All right. So, couple of things to get out of the way quickly is just, you know, to set the frame for what we're dealing with with this team. They have been the number one defense throughout this season and have the 17th best offense, which clearly by their record, by their standings has been serviceable, but obviously poses a question come 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 playoff time. Um, but we'll talk about that in a bit. So I, I think the most standout aspect of the Grizzlies, or of the Grizzlies, of the Timberwolves, I don't know why, my brain always, it doesn't help that I've talked about the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves in this video, uh, but for some reason, my brain always mixes up the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. Don't know what it is. They're not near each other geographically. They're, they're, they're barely in the same conference together, but yeah. Anyways, the Timberwolves. I think their most standout aspect of their team is their unique blend of size and versatility and athleticism and physicality. Um, it really makes them an overwhelming team to deal with, especially if the opposing side just doesn't have the personnel to kind of match up with them. Uh, and the Nuggets, the Nuggets said that the Wolves were their toughest opponents in their championship run. And even though the series only went to five games and would have been a sweep if Anthony Edwards didn't will a game five into existence, um, it, it's not hard to see why they said such a thing. When you have all their high-level defensive wings like Jaden McDaniels and Ann and Nas Reed and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyle Anderson, and then you have a defensive anchor like three-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert, on top of it, while having an offense of a Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards, a Mike Conley, and most of those defensive wings who can also shoot the ball pretty well. That's a devastating two-way kind of force. Um, let's, let's, when we, as we break this down, let's start with Cat. 
Uh, Carl Anthony Towns has been having a true 50-40-90 season, which as a seven-footer is just absurd. And while 2020 and 2021 were maybe his best seasons statistically uh, in terms of volume production, he's absolutely been playing the best basketball in terms of impacting winning right now. Um, he still does have games where he's not very efficient or will just kind of barely shoot the ball and feels like he doesn't really have a place in the offense. A lot, what, what we saw a lot of last season when it kind of started to be like, should he not be on this team or whatever? But after his slow start to the season, uh, he's been pretty consistently valuable and even had a 40 and 12 game against the Pacers last Sunday with pretty great efficiency. So cat cat's been amazing. Um, and I think the biggest thing is his relationship with Anthony Edwards. Uh, it's pretty evident that Ant is the better player or ha- at least has the higher ceiling and will be the number one guy. But currently, they go back and forth between being that number one guy in a game, sort of a who has the hot hand tonight type of thing, which is totally respectable. And as it's been very consistently uh, a, a, their two-man punch kind of game, it's been working. Um but regardless, it is only a matter of time until Ant is the guy unquestionably for this team. Um, and I think earlier in Cat's career, there could have arose a problem from that dynamic, you know, egos and whatnot. We certainly know Jimmy Butler didn't have a great time in Minnesota. Um, and this has been Cat's team since he got drafted. This is going to sound crazy, but nearly a decade ago, 2015 draft, right? So it wouldn't be surprising if those feelings existed, and maybe they still do or did in private at least, but they've done a great job at at least publicly being a pretty united front. Um, and in general, also, Cat's almost 30. You know, he's 28. He's been in the league for eight, nine seasons now. I think he wants to win. I think he's ready to do whatever needs to happen to uh, to to get there and has a lot less holdups over how it looks or the conversations that get formed by us, the, the viewers, um, as a result, you know, I just, I, so I think as long as he accepts that fact and with graces kind of assumes his role and, and understands that Anthony Edwards is, is going to be the player who determines how far this team can go. Um, I think he can work within that and he, he could be their second option on a title run. Um, so kind of a, kind of a renaissance for, for Kat, at least in, in the court of my own public opinion, because while you are just being very disingenuous to say Kat isn't a good basketball player, I was definitely not feeling super high about him, uh, to start out this season. So awesome to see him kind of shut that conversation down and, show that he can consistently be valuable and is willing to kind of take a smaller role if need be. Um, other things outside of the two main guys, we mentioned him before, but Rudy Gobert has been having a bounce back season. Uh, this is this is the kind of defender that Minnesota traded their, the next like 30 years of their future for, if we remember that absurd draft uh, draft pick and also player hall, just in general, absurd uh trade package that Minnesota put together to get Gobert from the Jazz last, uh, last, last off season, I guess at this point. Um, and that was looking like one of the worst moves in NBA history last season. But this guy, this is the, this is the player that they traded for. Um, he's anchoring obviously the number one defense, 
Gobert has the best player defensive rating himself, if not one of the best, because, you know, things like that can fluctuate on a game-to-game basis, especially early on in the season like this. Um, And in my opinion, he is the clear favorite to win the Defensive Player of the Year award at this point in time. Um, Someone else who is possibly deserving of winning an award, wink, wink, is Nas Reed, who is putting together a great case for Sixth Man of the Year, which... Pains me to say, as a Knicks fan who believes that Emmanuel quickly was one robbed of it last season and is the front runner this season, and still believe so, um, but putting that aside for a moment to just appreciate Nas Reed, this dude's been incredible. I mean, he's having a near 50-40-90 season himself. I think it's the only thing he's missing is he's just a hair under 40% from three. Um, he plays lockdown defense. And when you consider the fact that he's earning less than $13 million a year, he's got to be one of, if not the most valuable 3 and D player in the league right now. Um, and the fact that he plays center, by the way, also gives the Wolves an option to stretch the floor and go small, which just kind of adds another like layer to, to their options offensively. Just overall, Nasrid is an immensely valuable player. I don't think it can really be emphasized enough, or certainly he does not get the mainstream love that he should because, I mean, he's the, he's, he's the sixth man for the number one team in, in the NBA at the moment. Like, that, that deserves a recognition. Um, and it's just a bit of a cheat code to have a player like that coming off of your bench. Um, and then the last player that I think is, like, worth individually noting is Mike Conley. He's kind of been the unsung hero of the Timberwolves this season uh, and kind of has been since he was traded for last season. I think when they made that move uh, or when they acquired him as well, that really was a, was a big difference maker. Um, just just having that kind of... We'll get into it, whatever. Yes, Mike Conley is 36 years old. No, he's not going to give you 20 a night usually like he used to. But Mike Conley is a leader on and off the court. The court general that this team really needed, if you will. Um, he still plays 30 minutes a game. Rarely turns the ball over. I think he averages one, if if that, a game. He spaces the floor incredibly well. He's shooting a career-high 44%, 43% from three this season. It might have gone down because of their loss to the, uh, to the Sixers last night, uh, Wednesday. Um, but regardless, he's shooting amazingly, uh, very efficient, a great ball handler. And he's not a high-usage player either, which makes him a great pairing, I think, for Ant, because obviously Ant's going to want the ball in his hand. So Conley can kind of just sit back and offer his great playmaking and that sort of thing. Um, in general, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards have both been individually amazing this season, but I just, I don't think the Timberwolves offense clicks as well as it has been. And I know they're not doing amazing, but still, uh, I, I just don't think it is what it is. And they're certainly not the number one team in the league with a 20 and six record without Mike Conley. Um, so shout out to him. He's definitely been sort of the silent difference maker. Um, and I just, I kind of wonder how valuable he will, or how long he'll be able to keep up being this insanely valuable. Because again, he's 36. He's like a six foot guard. Like there, once once they kind of fall off, they they fall off pretty pretty quickly. Um, we've seen even with high level six foot talents like Chris Paul, who's still a pretty relatively valuable player in the league, but relative to what even he was doing, 
two seasons ago, three seasons ago, when he was legitimately still in MVP conversations. You know, when certain aspects of your game go, you don't have that much to offer as a smaller player. Um, but Conley has been a great, efficient playmaking, don't need the ball in my hand kind of uh, guard to pair with Ant, and that's been awesome. Um, so I think overall, we have established pretty clearly that this team is definitely the real deal. Um, to bring back up their 17th best defensive uh, or offensive rating, rather, um, which again is pretty middle of the pack, we can tell. Um, especially for a team, it's pretty disappointing for a team that seemingly as of right now is one of the very best teams in basketball. Um, on one hand, it's very impressive that the Wolves have been the number one seed, have only lost six games in spite of having a handful of offensively inconsistent players. They're able to kind of muscle through bad shooting nights and just physicality their way into wins, which is is worth noting. However, on the other hand, that's not going to fly against the best teams in the league. You know, the the Wolves have played and beat the Celtics once. They've played and beat the Nuggets once. They've played and beat the Thunder once. But a lot of their wins have come against teams like the Grizzlies, the Jazz, Pelicans, Spurs. They've played all of them multiple times. And this is so far from an attempt to call their record fraudulent or something like that because you should be able to tell by the whole of this segment that I clearly think they're the real deal. But what I'm saying is I kind of want a bit of a bigger sample size as it pertains to games against contenders, i.e. just let the season play out a bit longer. I don't mean anything crazy by this. I just I want to see the Timberwolves kind of keep this up before I'm like fully taking the, uh, the, the blue pill, the red pill. I've seen the Matrix. I should know this. Well, well, well red, red pill douchebags want you to take that up to... Uh, to wake up right wake up to the fact that like women are stupid that's what they want um so red pill yeah so like i guess whatever that totally got away from me anyways the point is that they haven't necessarily competed against like the best of the best and consistently been what we have seen overall in those games um and it's not even their fault some of that is just how the schedule turns out later in this you know if you're if you have an earlier or if you have it early on an easier schedule those teams are just the opposite. No, it's just going to happen on the uh, at the back end of the season. It all evens out by the end. Um, so I guess I just want to see a bit of prolonged sustainability from them. I, I want to see that over 50, 60, nearing, you know, March and, and, and stuff like that. That this team is still very dominant, um, at least passable on offense, and still um, one of, if not the best defense in the league. Um and I think, you know, I think this team is capable of going to the finals. I really do. Under the right circumstances, and those right circumstances might include having some injuries on other teams. But regardless, I think that is their ceiling, what they could do. Um, and outside of the Nuggets, I think they're the most competitive team in the West. You know, in terms of contenders or teams that could give Denver a run for their money, I'd take Minnesota over the Thunder. Um, unless the Thunder choose to make a big trade at the near or at or near the deadline, which I think is possible and they should honestly do, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'd take the Timberwolves over the Kings, over the Mavericks, over the Lakers, probably maybe, um, and maybe even the Clippers. I'm not sure about that one. Uh, they're nine and one in their last ten and have looked really good lately. 
Um, and I know I've shortchanged the Warriors and Suns a lot um, in the past few episodes as contenders, but honestly, both of those teams are looking pretty fucking cooked as of right now, so we'll have to take a, cl- a closer look at them at some point. But in summary, yeah, the Wolves are the real fucking deal, man. Uh, again, not many teams in the West that... Or even, I mean, if we're talking about just over the in, uh, entire East and West, like, the Wolves are probably top six team. Just top six, top five, which, I mean, maybe sounds like I'm, like, demoting them or something, but there's just a lot of really good teams and at least, like, two that would beat them in the East. But, yeah. Um, I, I I think an important factor in answering the question, are they, re- are they the real deal? Could they be the real deal? is really the fact that this team's calling cards, that being their defense, their size, their versatility, those are specifically traits that become more important in the playoffs and really elevate teams. Um, when you've got those things going for you and the game becomes a lot more refined and I don't want to say simple because it definitely doesn't. Playoff schemes can look like 5D chess moves in, in terms or in comparison to regular season uh, schemes, but when the game gets kind of uh, boiled down and it becomes a little bit more physical and et cetera, et cetera, traits like what the Timberwolves have going for them are specifically the ones that analysts are going to look to, to kind of predict who's going to win. Again, you know, playoffs are the, the biggest thing with playoffs is really matchups. So at this point in time, it's kind of hard to like try and predict like their entire playoff bracket tree. Um, beforehand but in general I think they have a lot of the good things going for them that will make them a competitive and strong playoff team um, so I'm, I'm really liking their chances to do some damage in the postseason this season and uh, if all goes well slash nothing knocks them off course to be contenders for at least a handful of seasons to come and uh, with that being said, I know this is going to be kind of crazy, but that about does it for Hoops Hour Episode 3. Um, I've gone rather comfortable this for, to doing this for well over an hour that it kind of feels weird that this is only going to be like a 30-minute episode, a little longer than that. Um, but really, I just I, I wanted to give a good amount of time to the Timberwolves and talk about them. I've been thinking about talking about them since before I even filmed Episode 1. So glad we got that out of the way. Also, don't have a non-related hoops ramble for, for, for this episode, which is fine, good even, because that's sort of like an outlet for me to just rant about something that is, you know, whatever, and it's kind of a thing for me. And so I don't want to like force it if there's nothing I have really on my mind. Um, other than the fact that Christmas is in three days, four as of right now for me, but for Friday when this comes out, Christmas is in three days. The goat holiday, the best holiday. I love Christmas even more than my birthday, if I'm going to be honest. Um, So that's awesome. That's very exciting. And I mean, this is going to sound like the oldest thing I could physically, physically possibly say, but it is genuinely insane that we are only a few weeks away from the end of 2023. It's been quite an interesting year. Not going to get on my soapbox now or at any point, but just uh, just kind of a wild thing to take a step back and go, damn, it is almost 2024. Um, and I'm very excited about 2024 and the basketball that's going to be played in that year and the uh, podcast, show, episodes, things, whatever we want to call this. You know, episode three, 
and uh, the running the running motif is that it, this is still a work in progress. Um, but I, I'm just very excited for uh, all the basketball and the content that I can make over next year. It's been very exciting. This has been kind of like my first real year doing uh, content, even though I only like really picked it up uh, come the summertime after I graduated from college. But Nonetheless, um, not gonna not gonna spam a bunch of thoughts here at the end now. But uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for watching. Uh, email hoopsourtv at gmail.com. if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, or worries about uh, you know our environment or uh, any geopolitical uh, conflicts, uh, whatever it is. You know, I'm happy to take a look, respond, and if it's basketball or even not whoever if it's interesting enough uh you know incorporate it into episodes that would be a fun thing to do also follow the twitter i tweet a lot and live during the games which i think is fun and even though twitter is a awful platform now kind of was anyways but especially now and nba twitter is an incredibly toxic space there's still a lot of really cool people there and every so often there's like a very wholesome human interaction between the fan account of uh of like uh Jackson Hayes on the Lakers and then uh Nas Reed stat muse account and they'll have a nice bonding moment when the Lakers and Timberwolves play or something like that. And it just sort of makes the whole thing worth it, you know what I mean? Uh but nonetheless I have certainly rambled beyond what I've needed to post the Timberwolves segment. So with that being said, um thank you all so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Um do all the things, thank you. Um, and we'll be back soon, but until then, take care.